Thank you so much. Well, we are continuing on this series, Uncluttering Our Lives. And as I mentioned last week, Chris Carter talking about uncluttering our family. And uh, this week we're going to talk about uncluttering our finances. So why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, batten down the hatches. The preacher's going to talk about money today. Okay? <laughs> we're going to talk about money. All right? And uh, let me just kick off by uh, sharing some statistics with you and the necessity for this message today. And Some of us are here and we need maybe a, a tune-up. Some of us are here and we need an overhaul. And some of us are here and we're beyond overhaul. We're, a, we're just a freaking wreck, okay? And I'm just trusting today that God will, through His Word, bring light to us and help us because this whole area of finances, I said this earlier in the series, that relationships probably bring the most stress and pressure and clutter to our lives. And I would say second to relationships is the area of financing and finances that bring so much heartache and clutter and difficulty and distraction to our hearts, our minds, and our lives. Now let me share some statistics with you about American spending. Of course, we, we break spending down into two basic categories. Necess uh, necessary spending or spending on necessities and then discretionary spending which is spending on things that aren't absolutely necessary but are niceties. Okay? And so we spend about 60% of our, of our income as Americans, we spend about 60% on the necessities. Things like housing, clothing, food, health care and uh, medical, things like that that are very, very important to sustaining the basics of life. And we spend about 40% on discretionary things. In fact, we spent over a trillion dollars last year on things that aren't exactly needs, but could be classified more accurately as wants. And in America, there's something that, that we have to be aware of, and I, I don't think it's just in America, I think, it, I think it's around the globe, that if we're not careful, will translate wants into needs. Now here's some of the way that we spent discretionary money this last year in 2013. This is by Mental Floss, the numbers, by the numbers, Americans' discretionary spending. We spent $96 billion on beer. We spent $310 million on Halloween costumes for our pets. How's that one? Okay, ladies, get ready. We spent $16 billion on chocolate. Now, some would say that's essential. That's not. Okay, that's debatable. All right, gambling, $35 billion. Coffee, $11 billion. A tattoo removal, not just tattoos, but tattoo removal, $66 million. You ought to think a little harder before you get that tattoo. That's what that tells me. Pop, $65 billion. Isn't it interesting? We spent more on beer than we did on pop in America. This is discretionary spending. Spending a few more statistics. Water, $11 billion. Fast food, $117 billion. Ringtones, basically cell phone accessories, 5B with a billion. Credit card and late fees, $18 billion. And Twinkies. Twinkies had to make the list. $500 million on Twinkies. Not exactly essential okay let's talk a little bit about debt and money mismanagement which we know is rampant in this very materialistically driven 
culture that we're a part of. Consumer debt statistics. Put them up on the screen for you. The average American home has 13 credit cards or payment cards. The average. Some have less, some have more. That's the average, 13 cards. 40%, actually more than 40% percent, excuse me, spend more than they earn. That's actually creeping up to about one out of every two in America spends more than they take in. That is a problem. The average American household has $8,400 of credit card debt. And this is a staggering statistic that experts estimate that 96% of us will have some form of dependency on either the government, family, or charity upon retirement. And so finances and financing is an enormous part of our lives. It's an inescapable part of our lives. And let me just say this right out of the gate about money. Because we're going to talk a lot about money. And we're going to talk about the heart of the matter. But let me start out by just saying this. Money is not evil. And money is not good. Money is completely neutral. Money is inanimate. It's completely neutral. It's our response to money. It's our response to stuff, to materialism, to the things that money can buy. That is really the issue of whether money, of whether things, materialism, of whether it's good or whether it's bad. It really is an issue of the heart and of the mind. And we are going to go there this morning. We're going to talk about it. Jesus talked a lot about money because money is very important, not just in terms of earthly, but it has significant importance regarding the eternal. And we're going to talk about it today as we talk about uncluttering our lives financially. Now, let me if I ask this question, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if I asked how many of us are rich, now I'm not talking spiritually, I'm talking monetarily. How many of us in this 9 o'clock service consider ourselves rich? I doubt any hands would go up. Maybe one or two or three. I'm talking monetary. I understand as believers we're rich in Jesus Christ. I get that. But monetarily, there's probably nobody in here that thinks, wow, I've, I've arrived, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I've got it made. Statistically, and inter, uh, people were interviewed, people were surveyed, and they, they talked to people that made $35,000 a year, and they said, what would it take for you to consider yourself to be rich or wealthy? And they said, $75,000 or more a year. And you probably are already tracking with where I'm going with this. Look at these numbers. So they interviewed the people making seventy five grand, and they said, are you rich? And they said, no. They said, well, how much would you have to make if you considered yourself to be rich or wealthy? And they said, we'd have to make $150,000 a year or more. So they interviewed the people making 150. Are you no? We have to make 250 to 500. So they went and interviewed that. Are you rich? No. Let me ask you a question. How, well, first of all, if you make 48 thousand dollars a year or more, you are in the top one percent of all income earners on the planet. That's an interesting. That's an amazing statistic. So this morning. 
Let, let me ask a question. I'll jump ahead a little bit in my notes. Let me ask this question. How much would you have to have in order for you to feel completely financially secure for the rest of your life? Where you didn't think about money at all for the rest of your life. You felt secure. I know the answer to that question. More than you have right now. <laughs> Can you say amen? Right? So we're going to talk about these, these issues. And, and what I want you to realize is that even if you make $20,000 a year, you're in the top 95% income, percent of income earners on the planet. And really the issue becomes how we manage what we have. And that's really what we want to talk about and is the heart of the issue this morning. We've been looking at Martha and Mary. They have provided a beautiful backdrop for this whole series on uncluttering our lives. And we said that Martha and Mary, you remember the story, you know, they're, they're, it's a meal, it's, it's Lazarus's home. Martha's there, she's busy fixing a meal. Mary is peacefully sitting at the feet of Jesus. And we, we've talked about that story and that's the backdrop of this uncluttering series. And I want to continue to look at Mary. I referred to this passage in John chapter 12 the last couple of weeks. But I want to go there this morning and I want to read John chapter 12, the first few verses that tell us about another story, another, uh, uh, another incident in the life of Mary. And it has to do specifically with money and with finances. And again, I would submit to you this morning that Mary is the person that we more want to become like. And we're going to see why as we read this in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Mary took, well, uh, I'll just read the, the gist of the story here. Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. The backdrop is Jesus is at the home of Lazarus again. Martha is busy preparing a meal. This time Mary is not sitting. Mary is busy. Mary's doing something. And she takes this 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping His feet with her hair. The Bible tells us the house was filled with the fragrance. And the Bible goes on to tell us how that Judas got really upset when Mary did this, and he effectively rebuked her and said, Why this waste? This perfume was worth a full year's wages. This should have been sold and given to the poor. And the Bible gives a little commentary on that. It says not that Judas cared about the poor. It's that he was the treasurer. He was keeping track of the money. And he would have had some more money that he could have pilfered out of the treasury. And then Jesus spoke up in Mary's defense and said, wait a minute. She's done a good thing to me. She has prepared me for my burial. Six days later, Jesus would be hanging on a cross. Within a week, Jesus Christ would be dead. Now let me just pause as, as we look at this story and as we read about Mary. And we read about this, this extravagant, lavish, almost obscene gesture in her giving to Jesus. 
Is that not a picture of a heart that is truly free? I don't know about you, but I look at Mary. I look at her example. I look at the peace that she has. I look at the joy. I look at the freedom with which she is generous toward the king. And I say, that is the kind of life I want to have. That is the kind of simplicity. That is the kind of peace. That is the kind of freedom that I want to live in. Think about this just a moment. What she gave was probably the most valuable thing that she had. And it was probably given to her as a dowry. And it was probably, if I could put it in this context, her whole retirement. And so as we look at this amazing gesture of generosity, it tells me something about Mary. Mary had no fear about her future. She had no fear about her financial future. That's why she could willingly and lavishly and and so freely give to Jesus Christ something so amazing, something so expensive. Why? Because her heart was at peace. She knew that, that her future was safe and secure regardless of what her bank account said, regardless of the total in the IRA, regardless of the amount that was in the savings or the checking or the retirement account, regardless, there was no fear. There was no hesitation. I say, wow, isn't that a beautiful picture of where we want to be in our lives? Truly living, uncluttered lives financially. I think every heart in this room this morning craves to live in that place of freedom. That that place of total security and serenity. And Mary continues to be a beautiful example to us of an uncluttered life. It really is this simple. And this is what I want you to go away with Take from the message this morning. Open hand, closed. Open hand, closed hand. Open heart, closed heart. We look at Mary. She had an open hand toward God. And she had an open heart toward God, didn't she? And see, our our hand and our heart are connected. If we have an open, put, put your hand out. Say open. Open hand. Close your hand. Closed hand. Put your hand right here and say open heart. Closed heart. You see, our hand and our heart are connected. And we're going we're to see this in Scripture in just a moment. It really is. That, that is, that is the, the sum total of the message this morning. Of having an open hand toward all that God places in our lives so that we can have an open heart toward Him, which is what He wants, and it's what we want as Christ followers. The moment we close our hand, we close our heart. Let's go to a second passage of Scripture and look 
at a parable that Jesus shares with us in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read, now on the big screen I've got just a portion of this parable. Uh, in my notes I have the whole thing and I'll read it to you. But you're, you're probably familiar with this story. Somebody says to Jesus, hey, will you tell my brothers, my family, to split the inheritance with me? And he says, who in the world put me in charge of doing that for you? And then he makes this statement. He says, beware and be on your guard. Bump your neighbor and say, be on guard. Why did Jesus say that? Because this is something we have to resist constantly. He said, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he goes on and he says, he tells them a parable. He says, the land of a rich man was very productive. He began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now if we stop the story right there, excuse me, (coughs) if Jesus stopped the parable right there, we would probably say this guy is the poster child (coughs) for preparing for retirement. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went on and he said this. Excuse me. (coughs) Pardon me. He said, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man, catch these words, who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus tells this parable. He says, be on your guard against greed or covetousness. And he tells the parable about this man. The problem was not that the man was rich. Jesus has no issue with rich people. We could walk through Bible examples of those that had tremendous wealth, that were devoted followers of God. Abraham was a very wealthy man. We won't take time to go through the list. That's not the point. Being rich is not the problem. It's being open-handed with what God has given us. Can you see that this man was not open-handed? He was closed-handed toward God. Thank you very much. God bless you. He was closed-handed regarding what God had blessed him with. And he was apparently closed-hearted toward God because Jesus said, this man is a fool because he was rich materially, but he didn't use that wealth to become rich toward God. That is what you and I are after, to be rich toward God. Jesus in the parable says, you fool this night, your soul will be required. Who's going to get everything that you have? In other words, the man lost his opportunity to do good with what he had in his hand. I hope you're listening this morning. Because that's the key to staying uncluttered financially. 
is using what God has given to you. Yes, God, He knows our needs. He gives lavishly and liberally to provide for our needs. And He also gives to us, giving us an opportunity to do good with what He's blessed us with. So that we can store up treasure in heaven. So that we can make a difference here on earth. Can somebody say amen? So can you see the issue was not wealth. The issue was mismanagement of what had been entrusted to the man. It's interesting. We looked at Mary. Mary was open-handed. Mary did what she could in the time that she had. And can you imagine if she would have debated in her mind, now I really want to do something to bless Jesus. And I'm listening to Him. And I know that the time is coming when His life is going to be cut off. But I'm not really sure I want to do this spike nard. I'm not really sure I want to do this perfume this week. Maybe I'll do it next week. It would have been too late. She would have missed her opportunity. She did good while she had opportunity. Are you listening? And this wealthy man had the opportunity to do good, but he missed his opportunity. And do you, who do you think was happier in this life and who do you think was happier in the next life? The one that was open-handed toward God or the one that was closed? I think we know the answer to that question. Jesus said, beware of covetousness and greed. I want to talk for a few minutes. Again, we, we use this format. I want to use it this morning. The cause of clutter, the cost of clutter, and the cure for clutter this morning in the few minutes that we have left. The cause of clutter is first of all, if we yield to covetousness, covetousness and greed. Jesus said, beware, be on your guard. It's, it, it's sneaky. It's going to try and creep its way into your heart. So be on guard. And apparently with this parable, Jesus is illustrating that you should be willing to give. You should be get willing to share. Because the, the man didn't give. He was already rich. He had surplus, he had extra, and he hoarded it. He didn't give it. He didn't share it. Luke chapter 8, Jesus talks about the parable of the soils. And we, we remember this. There was a hard path. There was the rocky soil. There was the soil where the, the seed went and it sprouted and it grew and it even began to, excuse me, to produce fruit. That's Luke chapter 8, verse 14. But it says that the thorns grew as well and they choked the, the, the wheat or the, the good plant. Look at what Jesus said. The seed which fell among the thorns are the ones who have heard the word and as they go, they are choked with, notice what he says, worries and riches and pleasures of this life and they bring no fruit to maturity. So the seed in this parable goes into good soil, it sprouts, it begins to grow. <clears throat> this is a picture of the believer. This is not a picture of an unbeliever. It's the picture of a believer because the Word is the Word of God. It's planted in the heart. It sprouts and it begins to grow. It's a picture of a believer. As believers, again, Jesus is saying, be on your guard. Did you notice something about thorns? They don't grow overnight. They, they come up over time. See, this, this migration, this growth, this choking, it happens slowly over time. And we have to be on guard against it. 
The Bible says that that we become unfruitful or the fruit that we have doesn't develop to maturity. So we have to be on guard. So the, the cause of clutter is covetousness and greed. The cause of clutter, Jesus really hit the nail on the head in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus always, he always got to the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter is the heart. And Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Realize this this morning. Money was never designed or intended to be a master. It was designed to be a servant. That's important that we get this. From a biblical balanced standpoint. Money is a wonderful servant. Money, possessions, wealth is a terrible master. Horrible master. In fact, I was reading this proverb and it jumped out at me. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 21 and 22. You Maybe you've read this verse. It says, Solomon says, under three things the earth quakes, and under four it cannot bear up. And one of them is when a, under a slave when he becomes a king. And I was thinking about this in terms of money. Money is supposed to be a slave. Money is supposed to be a servant. Money is supposed to serve us as the people of God. Serve us to do the purpose of God, to preach the gospel, to, to be, be an example of Christ in giving and blessing and serving and loving. Money is supposed to be a servant. And as long as we stay open-handed with money and possessions, it can be a servant. But the moment we become closed-hand, we become closed-hearted, and it becomes a master. And Jesus said you can't serve both. You're going to serve one or the other, so you need to choose. And really what he was talking about is this... See, money is, money is not good or bad. Money is neutral. It's the love of money that becomes an issue. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said the love of money is the root of what? All evil or all kinds of evil. So it's not money, it's the love of money. What did Jesus say was the first and the greatest commandment? He used that word love. Love the Lord your God. Can you see that if we're not careful, that money tries to become God in our lives? It wants to be, it wants worship. It wants to be first in your life. In fact, the number one contender for your heart is money, possessions. See, when we look at this in, in, a, in a spiritual, in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in the context of truth, we begin to understand these things. Money is the number one contender for my heart. It's, it's calling. It's whispering. It's, it's, it's luring my heart away from God to trusting and relying on money and resource. And the Bible, Jesus calls that idolatry. He says you can't serve two masters. You can't have two lords. It's going to be one or the other. Now let me jump ahead because some of you are, are, are you're perspiring right now. You're just a little bit nervous 
and you're, you're just not really sure what this all means. And l- let me just share this with you. God doesn't have to have all of your money to have all of your heart. He just needs to have the first of your resources to have all of your heart. So that'll, that'll set some of you at ease, okay? Because I'm not... No, I'm not going to take a second offering. I didn't instruct the ushers to have the buckets right. So just just relax this morning. And just just listen to God's Word and allow it to minister to you. And allow it to bring freedom in every area of your life. Okay, what is the cause of clutter? It's covetousness. It's greed. It's idolatry. It's, it's, It's allowing money to have a place God never designed it. And this is very important. See, what happens to us as we are adults is what I call hope migration. If we're not careful, what happens is hope migration. If we've been raised in in a Christian home, if we've been raised to serve God and to love God, we were trained to put God first. And when we're young, it's easy. I taught my kids from from the time that they had money, put God first. And they give God 10%. And and most all the time, they give 10% to missions. It's the way they were trained. It's the way they were raised. But as you come into adulthood and you come into financial responsibility and you begin to get married and you have children and there's not enough to do everything that you want, if we're not careful, our hope begins to quietly migrate from God to stuff. You say, why do I say that? Because of the words of Paul to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 17, he says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, and listen to this, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable, their trust should be in who? So can you see that wealth brings with it, it doesn't have to, but there's a temptation of hope migration. That's dangerous. I can have money. I can have surplus. I can be wealthy. But my hope needs to remain firmly and squarely in God, not trusting my resources, my finances, my bank account, my, 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 my numbers in the total for peace and a sense of security. Are you listening this morning? So Paul writes to Timothy and he says, instruct the rich. Why? Because he's trying to help them. Be careful. Guard against hope migration. This will bring clutter. It will bring distraction. It will bring anxiety to your life. It will bring untold stress. And we're trying to avoid that. Can somebody say amen? Proverbs 18.11 The rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. The, the scripture says they imagine... It's not that it is. They imagine it to be. So please, guard your heart against these things. Guard against hope migration. Let me ask you a question again. This, this, this re- well, I'm going I'm to save that question for just a minute. Let me talk about the cost of clutter. Very quickly, I'm going to run through these because I want to get to the cure. Okay? We've, got, we've got about four or five minutes left. I want to get to the cure. But look at the cost of clutter. I'm just going to give you some verses. And, and, and you'll, you'll, you'll resonate with this. You'll identify with this. Because the, 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 how many of you know the Scriptures are true? Right? So here's the cost of clutter. Are you ready? First of all, complexity. 1 Timothy 6.9 People who long to be rich fall, listen to the language, they fall into temptation and are 
trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Is that a mess or is that a mess? Is that clutter or is that clutter? Wow. All right, so complexity. If we don't have, if, 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 see, if money's not right, virtually every other, other area of our life is not right. That's why it's important. So uh, the cost of clutter, financial clutter, is complexity. Number two is anxiety. Luke chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Jesus, in the parable that I just shared, he said, You men of little faith, do not keep worrying about what you will eat and what you will wear. For all these things the Gentiles, the unbelievers, eagerly seek. Don't be anxious. Well, listen, if my hope has migrated, I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be fearful. I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to be worried. And I'm going to be closed-handed. So, there's complexity. There's anxiety. There's exhaustion. Proverbs 23, verse 4. Don't wear yourself out trying to be rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Complexity, anxiety, exhaustion, deception, number four. Job chapter 15, verse 31, Let them no longer fool themselves by trusting in empty riches, for emptiness will be their only reward. You see, wealth and riches have deception. And if we're not careful, we'll fall to it. Subjection is another cost of clutter. What do I mean by that? Jesus said you can't serve two masters. The moment you start to serve money... You've, got, you've come under the authority of the wrong king. So, there's a problem. Jesus, uh, rather uh, Solomon in Proverbs 22 verse 7 said, The borrower is servant to the lender. Subservient. Well, by God's design, we're supposed to be lenders, not borrowers. And this brings clutter into our lives. Restriction is another cost of clutter. What do I mean by that? When we have cluttered finances... We're limited in how generous we can be toward the kingdom. Have you ever been in a position where you wanted to do more, but you didn't have the resources? That's restriction. You wanted to go on a trip. You wanted to give to missions. You wanted to go on a missions trip. You, you saw somebody that was in need, and you wanted to do something significant financially, secretly for them, but you felt restricted. That's the cost of financial clutter. We want the gospel to go farther Faster, we don't want the gospel to go shorter, slower. So we want to have our finances in order so that we can be generous. Can you say amen? All right, and the last is depletion. This is a cost of clutter, depletion. I call it soul depletion. You can have money in your pocket, but have that money be draining life from your soul. Proverbs 119 says, All who are greedy for money, it robs them of life. Okay, the cost of clutter, the cause of clutter, Let's talk for the last few minutes that we have about the cure because I want to give it to you straightforward and simple. And maybe you don't need this this morning, but you know somebody that needs this. So I want you to take notes. Three things very quickly on the cure for clutter. Three words I want to give you. They all start with S. Settle, slay, and shift. Let me talk about those for just two, three minutes and then we're going to wrap up. What's the cure for financial clutter in your life? Number one, settle. Number two, slay. Number three, shift. What do I mean by settle? Settle the worship issue in your life. Settle who's first in your life. 
Jesus put it bluntly. You cannot serve God and serve money. We have to settle the worship issue right here on the inside. I said it before, the number one competitor for your heart is wealth. It's money. Let me ask you a question. What would truly bring more emotional devastation to you? If you learn, now this is not possible because we know that God is and we worship God and He's eternal. I get all that. But what if you heard this morning, what if you learned this morning that there was no God? How would that impact you? How would that impact your life? How would that impact you emotionally? If that were true and you learned this morning, there is no God. Let me ask you a second question. How would it impact you? What kind of impact would it have on you emotionally, physically, spiritually? If you learned this morning, in this moment, that you had no more money, not a dime, somehow, all of it, bank account, debit account, credit card, home loan, mortgage, all of it, gone. The money you got in your piggy bank and on your jar and in your ashtray that you don't use, gone. How would that affect you? And which one would affect you more adversely? I'm not asking for a show of hands. I ask that question because it comes to the heart of the issue of worship and what really is more important in my life. So we need to settle the worship issue. When our heart is right toward money, every other area of our life comes into order. Settle the worship issue. Number two, slay the God of mammon. Execute this idol that wants to reign supreme in your heart. Be violent. In the Old Testament, all the reformers, what did they do? They went and they were were radical with the idols. They destroyed the idol. I say slay the God of mammon. How do you do that? By being open-handed. It's very simple. The simple solution to, to defeating covetousness, to destroying this, this idol that wants to secure its place in my heart, the very simple way I slay it, I put a knife to its throat, is by being open-handed toward God. Open-handed. By giving. The act of giving is a knife to that idol's throat. Slay the God of mammon. Jesus knew how much we would struggle with this. That's why He said in in Matthew chapter 6, when He was talking about money, He said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. So if my money is not in the kingdom, my heart is not in the kingdom. I don't say that to, 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 for some, uh, to, to be judgmental or to be critical. I say that as an observation based on the words of Jesus. Jesus said, wherever your money is, your heart is going to follow. That's why I say, your heart follows your hand. Does that make sense? 
when you put the kingdom first financially, it tells God, it slays this God of mammon, it puts a knife to its throat. See, I'll say it again. God doesn't need all of your money to know that He has all of your heart. He just needs the first of your increase to know that He has all of your heart. Does that make sense? And wherever your treasure is, you see, if you start putting treasure or keep putting treasure into the kingdom, your heart's going to be fully invested in the kingdom. And that is powerful. And my brother, my sister, that's the heart of the message this morning. Not to bring condemnation, not to bring guilt, not to make you perspire, not to think that I'm, I'm not after your money. God is after your heart. And the way to your heart truly is through your wallet. And so, how do, we, how, how do we come to this cure? Number one, we settle the worship issue. Number two, we slay the God of mammon. Say it again. Open hand. Open heart. That's what we're after. Okay? And then lastly, shift. Let, shift what? Shift our attitude and our thinking in three areas and then I'm done. Okay? Clock says double zero. I'm out of town. Uh, out of, out of, I'm not out of town. I'm out of, I'm out of time. Shift. From ownership to stewardship. What is, what is ownership versus stewardship? Mine versus his. An attitude of I own it versus I manage it. I've earned it versus this is a gift from God. Shift from ownership to stewardship. Number two, and uh, Warren and the team, you can come because we're going to close. Shift number two from spending to investing. Start investing money versus just spending money. And invest money first and foremost in the kingdom. But learn to be an investor. Investments and investors buy assets and assets put money in your pocket versus just spending money on liabilities which take money out of your pocket. And then lastly, shift from getting to giving. Make a determinate decision that you're not going to be focused on getting. You're going to be focused on being a generous person and giving. I was talking to my son. I promise I'll end with this. I was talking to my son. He said, Dad, this is this week. He said, Dad, I, I just I want to be wealthy so I can write really big checks. I can fund missions. I can give to the kingdom of God. He was so sincere in what he said. I said, Ian, I, I believe that you're going to be in that place. I said, but make sure you are generous with God today at the level that you're at. If you get $10, give God one. Because if you don't give the one, if you're not faithful in the little, you'll never be faithful in much because when you make the $1,000, the $100 sounds pretty big. When you make the $10,000, the $1,000, and I'm using 10% because the, the Bible, right? Biblical tithe. When you make the million, you'll write the check for 100000 Why? Because it's all relative. And you've learned to be a generous person with an open hand toward God. Amen? Let's reflect and worship this morning.